Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. And I'm joined by my co-host, Tom Doran. Tom, you doing all right? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. And good. you know what? We have a great topic today. We're going to talk about marriage. It's a good topic. But more specifically, we're going to talk about marriage between a man and a woman. That's kind of been in the news a lot. And, and yes. I think that's important that we have a show about why the Catholic Church teaches that marriage actually belongs to the man and the woman. Great show topic. Yeah, and uh, to do that, it's a big, heady topic, so we thought we'd get a big, heady person. Uh, we thought we would bring our head chef here at the Catholic Cafe. We don't get him out much because he's back there baking muffins all the time, yeah. cooking and whatnot. You can tell we, by looking at us. We have Father Ben Bradshaw here with us. How are you doing, Father Ben? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Well, great. Thanks for coming out of the kitchen long enough. You're sweating a little bit. He's still, still got his apron on. Flour uh, everywhere. Yeah, exactly right. That means we're going to have something good later. Yeah, absolutely. That's always nice. Absolutely. So, Father Ben, we have heard so much now about marriage. We see it in the news all the time. And it actually has caused a lot of people, including Catholics, to wonder what does the church exactly teach about marriage, especially when it comes to uh, the sexes? And, and why does the church say, oh, well, you can't have same-sex unions or you, you can't encourage that, uh, even if you call them unions or marriages or whatever? Why does the Catholic church teach what she does about that? So we're going to delve into that topic mm-hmm. Holy matrimony, marriage between a man and a woman. It really is holy, isn't it? I mean, this is this institution, of course, was established by God, and so we don't have the authority to cha- to change it. The state doesn't have the authority to change it. A politician doesn't have that authority. Neither a body of legislators. Um, that's very difficult for many Americans to understand because we tend to uh, vote on truth. In That's our, right. In absolutely. our culture, and we see everything through the lens of a show of hands. Sometimes we vote with our feet if we don't like something, <laughs> right? We, That's we right. Move. Yeah, amen. And um, and we also see things through the lens of rights. I have a right to this, and not all of which is bad, of course. Um, in the Catholic Church, we teach that that rights are always bound to morality on some form. But when we talk about marriage, certainly God instituted this. In, this. in the Catholic Bible, of course, we have 73 books, 46, 27, 73 total. In almost every book of the Bible, we hear something about marriage. So especially the first book, Genesis, the last book, Revelation. And then right in the middle, we have this little book called the Song of Songs. It's very, very beautiful. We hear about marriage. And so it's very interesting. In When God creates man, he creates Adam. And Adam is alone. And so he names all the animals. And, and you will be called the giraffe. And you will be called the rhinoceros. And you will be called the snuffleupagus. Right. And, <laughs> and all these, right? And then he realizes Is that in the Catholic Bible? <laughs> <laughs> That's a ten- Tennessee translation, I think. Exactly. Yeah. But he realizes he's alone. And John Paul II refers to this as uh, original solitude. And not just because he looks different, obviously, from the animals. He realizes inside, hey, I'm different than the animals. He's naming the animals. The animals are not naming him. And the name Adam really just means man. Exactly. Right? That's right. And so we have um, God creates him. He blows into him, of course, his soul, this immortal soul. Right. And um, and then he's alone. 
and God casts a sleep on him, as we hear in Genesis 2. So God decides that he needs to have a partner. He needs to have right. somebody to complement him, to be with him. A helpmate. And this is, this is very important that God creates woman from the side of Adam. Why is that important? He could have created woman from the earth. You know, he could right. have said, gosh, this worked great the first time. Let's do it again. Um, but he creates woman specifically from the side of Adam, accentuating their complementarity and their equality. Okay, that's a very important point because often in our culture, we equate equality with sameness. Okay, right. so we're only equals if we can do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't have a vocation to be a mom. I would make, make a very poor mom. I'm too much of a whale. Right. <laughs> and so, but we're, we're each different. We have a different vocation. So Adam wakes up, and we, we hear this great expression, at last. This one is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And, and she is thinking the same thing, by the way. It's not just Adam that's thinking this. She thinks the same thing. And um, both of them recognize even though they were naked and had no shame, they recognize in this one, I can give my life, give my life completely, not just my physical body and sexual union, as beautiful as that is, but my whole life dedicated. And, um, of course, at that point, uh, sin had not entered the picture. Right. They would have, um, had sin not entered the picture, they would have remained immortal. And so there was a lot of things that entered with sin, but the the main thing Adam sees in his wife, and that word wife is mentioned in Genesis. Um, the the man leaves his father and mother, and he's joined to his wife, and the two become one flesh, which Jesus himself reiterates. And so we don't have the authority to change that, and um, we could never change that that ontological reality, that that reality of of one's being of masculinity and femininity. What's so beautiful, as you point out, the perfect helpmate to man is woman, is the woman. So the the man and the woman, they go together. And it's so beautiful how all of these teachings actually are in perfect harmony with natural law. Mm-hmm. And so you look at how physically the man and the woman, kids close your ears, the man and the woman fit together physically. Mm-hmm. There's a purpose mm-hmm. for their physicality. But then also we see that deeper sense of that soul needing another soulmate mm-hmm. and the perfect complement to that soul is the opposite sex is the other but again we see that equality but at the same time we see very different roles to be played in that mm-hmm. relationship that's right and i always tell people you know any couple that's been married for more than 30 minutes knows how very different they are <laughs> well <yeah. And laughs> i mean we're different but equal and and um this is very important and in many many church documents Familiaris Consortio, The Truth and Meaning of Human Sexuality, um, John Paul's Love and Responsibility, and John Paul's Theology of the Body, even in the Second Vatican Council documents, we hear of the beauty of human sexuality, um, 2337 to 2339 in the Catechism, that our sexuality is not just a matter of, quite frankly, genitalia, Right. that it's more than that, that it touches our soul. Um, and so what I do with my sexuality affects others, and what they do affects me. And this is why when we have two people that come together in sexual union within the bonds of marriage, okay? So it's not my one-night hookup. Right. It's not my friends with benefits. It's not my no <laughs> strings attached um, that, or my adulterous affair. That I'm impacting their soul and they're impacting mine. And this is why when God says, I will make a helpmate, 
it's worth asking a fundamental question. Well, what is she helping him with? Right. And what is he helping her with? And the answer to that question is they're helping each other get closer to God. We talk about that all the time. I'm married. Tom's married. And both of us, Tom, because of who we are, I mean, obviously our wives are on the path to sainthood. You got um, that right. But, but the reality Especially is we, 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 talk, <laughs> we talk a lot about the fact that our job is to get each other to heaven. That's what we're here for. That's what our job on earth is, is to get right. to heaven. So then as parents, we look to our kids as we're trying to get them to heaven. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's what we that's what we aim to do. That's what our that's what our goal should be not uh, you know feather our nest egg, uh build this whatever house and uh have our name, you know, put on some school because of a great community service. Now those are all nice things, but that's not our goal, mm-hmm. is it? That's right. And in fact, you know, when we say this um that that we're called to grow in holiness, that's that's beautiful and that's true. But in when the rubber meets the road, Okay, what does this mean on a day-to-day basis? It means, quite frankly, that we have to tolerate things that we don't want to tolerate. We have to tolerate people sometimes we don't want to tolerate. Um, And we have to die to ourself and give of ourself. And um, and that, whether we are a religious sister, whether we're an ordained Catholic priest, whether we're single, or whether we're married, all of us are called to do that. That's how we grow. And quite frankly, that's one of the spiritual images that comes from a, wet, a wedding ring. My life is now for someone else. Right. And, or a collar on a priest that we're called to die to ourselves. So when we talk about the helping, that's how it translates itself. When we're able to die, um, we, we also are able to, to receive. And a lot of people, quite frankly, it's a big problem for a lot of couples. They understand the concept of sacrifice, of giving, 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 doing, doing. But they, ought, they won't let others give to them, and, um, and so they won't open up. And intimacy is more than just sexual union. It's one of, one of the things I often tell teens when I'm talking to them. We can have sex with no intimacy and intimacy with no sex. So we can have sexual union that has no intimacy at all, and we can have many intimate relationships, but one is not sexually active. Right. And so when we're able to show non-genital forms of of intimacy with our spouse, listening to them, huge, um, back rubs, simple things, walk together. When we come together in sexual union, it mean, it's so much more meaningful because the couple now, they recognize I can trust this person. We've learned a language, what John Paul calls a, a, um, a, a language of the body. You talked about sacrifice uh, and that just brought to mind the, that beautiful, beautiful passage in the fifth chapter of Ephesians where we're talking about uh, wives being submissive, right, to the husband, but then the husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about that and what that really means. And that relationship in marriage between a man and a woman sort of mirroring a relationship between between God and the people of Israel, between, you know, God and between Christ and his church, seeing that that total self-gift, mm-hmm. right, that, that makes uh, salvation even possible. Mm-hmm. It's worth asking a, a very basic question. What does it mean to be a Christian man? What does it mean to be a Christian woman? 
Um, sometimes these very basic questions, I think. Tom, can, Tom averted your eyes, by the way. <laughs> you know, like in, in school when they ask the question, you're like, I don't know the answer. I'm going to look down. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have a test on this later, My Tom. My friend, Jeff. <laughs> Father, he, he's helping you get closer to God, yeah, Tom. I see that. <laughs> Father, what does it what, do, what what does it mean? Well, it means, I would argue, when we talk about, and this is, I want to emphasize, this is my, my own personal opinion based on what what I understand of church teaching. Really, a, a, a man, when we talk about Christian masculinity, there's three things that just immediately come to mind. You're a protector. There's something in most men to protect what is holy, sacred ground. You sacrifice for something holy or someone holy. Um, and, and, and finally, we are called to be, in some ways, the priest of our family, the spiritual leader of our family, which we certainly see in Ephesians 5. And what does that mean? It means, gentlemen, quite frankly, when the rubber meets the road, that tea time does not take precedence over mass time. Yeah. And um, because our kids are watching us. We're not talking about British tea time, right? (laughs) (laughs) I don't have any of your friends that do tea time. (laughs) Well, and our kids are always watching us. Isn't it funny? As a... Um, my mom used to say, honey, you, you remember all the things I want you to forget, and you forget all the things I want you to remember. It's <laughs> <laughs> always the case. That's always the case. And so they, they need our leadership. They need the sacrifice, and they also need the, the, the spiritual example. Beautiful. So we have much more to talk about in terms of marriage. But before we do that, I want to remind folks at home that we have a website, www.thecatholiccafe.com. Uh, and also, I would love to hear from you. Send me an email at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. And so if your wife says it's okay, join us again. I'm Bess Drzemski, and this is another great moment in church history. One of the greatest of the Christian virtues, and perhaps one of the least heated in modern times, is the virtue of chastity. The truth that our bodies are holy and beautiful gifts from God, meant for a higher purpose, is constantly challenged by an ever more secular world. Many saints throughout church history were living testimonies to this beautiful virtue and still serve today as shining examples for us to follow. Maria Goretti is just such an example. Born to a poor Italian farming family in 1890, Maria lived a simple, holy life. She was uneducated, never learning to read or write. Even without catechesis, she was blessed with a strong faith in God. One summer afternoon, at the tender age of 12, Maria sat on the stairs outside her house. A young man from the neighborhood, Alessandra, only 18 years old and brandishing a knife, threatened her, demanding that she submit to his unholy desires. Though she feared for her own life, oddly, she also displayed a great concern for her attacker's life, more precisely for his immortal soul. She cried out, No, God does not wish it. It is a sin. You would go to hell for it. Even without the benefit of a formal Catholic education, little Maria understood that chastity was what God desired for her. Maria knew that her body and soul were united as one, and that both belonged in service to the Lord. Ultimately, Alessandro carried out his threats. He stabbed her repeatedly and ran off. Though her wounds were to be fatal, she exhibited Christ-like mercy and forgiveness to her would-be rapist. Just before dying, she exclaimed to all those present, I forgive Alessandro, I forgive him with all my heart, and I want him to be with me in heaven. 
Even at the hour of her own death, her thoughts were for the well-being of another. Word of little Maria's steadfast devotion to purity and an incredible act of forgiveness spread quickly. Devotion to the young martyr grew. She was soon to be seen as the very picture of chastity. In 1950, Pope Pius XII canonized her before a crowd of 250,000 people. Among those in the vast crowd was a now 66-year-old Alessandro, freed after 27 years in prison. Knowing that he had been truly forgiven, he cried tears of joy as he knelt with all the others. St. Maria Goretti's feast day is celebrated by the Universal Church on July 6th. I'm Bess Trzymski, and this has been another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And we're back in the Catholic Cafe's luxurious corner booth. We're sitting here with Father Ben Bradshaw, and we're talking about marriage between one man and one woman. And the church is teaching on holy matrimony. And uh, Father Ben, Tom here had a great – he always has his best questions, like during the break. <laughs> Timing. That's exactly – well, you know, Timing. you're eating while you're uh, exactly. at the break. And, it's and hard I to, think food helps you. You're not supposed to talk with your food, <laughs> food in your mouth. So, so we're, Yeah, we're talking about how, you know, our jobs in a family is to get each other to heaven. And so – I'm sure people out there are thinking, okay, well, so why can't you do the same thing? Why can't two guys do the same thing or two girls? Why can't a same-sex couple help each other get to get to heaven? One of the things that we believe, and that's a great question, is that we are each, each one of us is trying to help everybody else get to heaven too, right? right? We say at every Mass, I confess to you, Almighty God, and to you, my brothers and sisters, Mm -hmm. right? And the point being that we are community-oriented, communio personarum. We are a communion of of people, of persons, Right. So my virtue, my sin affects you. Your virtue, your sin affects me. There is no such thing as a private sin. What I do in the privacy of my own home just affects me. No. What I do affects you. What you do affects me. And so when we talk about the issue of, uh, for instance, of same-sex unions, um, sure, to a man and a man, they can, certainly, um, they can certainly help each other to grow closer to God. But we can't – the problem, of course, being is that it, it in no way um, – in no way is a mirror of what the way God ordained marriage to be. For instance, in Catechism 2202, we hear that a family is a, a man and a woman united in marriage together with their children. And so God has ordained this. We don't have the authority to change it. And so while, while we can definitely speak that each one of us helps each other grow closer to God, we can't say that this is ultimately a, a, a big difference between a man, and a, wa- a man and a woman and a woman because the inclination, not the person, the inclination to a same-sex attraction is, is fundamentally disordered in the sense that it is um, apart from the natural order of the way God intended it, mm-hmm. um, being a man and a woman. Now, the Catechism 2357 does make the point that the origins of homosexuality um, are largely unexplained. There's a lot that we just don't know. Um, We know some things, but there's some things that we don't know, so we're constantly learning more. So the the church delineates between the the, uh, attraction, the inclination uh, to to same-sex attraction and the person. Mm -hmm. So while there's no sin, certainly in being a homosexual, there's the sin comes in acting out, of course, just like we could say the same thing with adultery, premarital sex. 
um, contraception. We need to stress this in, in a big way because a lot of times the church gets a black eye because people will assume that the church hates sinners. But the church loves every single person mm-hmm. because every person is made in the image and likeness mm-hmm. of God. That's right. And that is the, the, the bishops in their document, Ministry to Persons with a Homosexual Inclination, November 14, 2006. They make the point, and the, the church has made the point for, for years, we love homosexuals. Right. We love them. So much so, we love them so much so that we're trying to bring them, in addition to ourselves, to truth. And because we don't, we don't love someone when we affirm anyone in sin, and being that we just turned a blind eye to sin. And if that sin is acting out with a same-sex partner, um, adultery, um, whatever, mm-hmm. we don't love them by just brushing it under the table. A great organization called Courage, founded in September of, of uh, 1980 by Cardinal Cook, Cardinal Terrence Cook, Father Benedict Gachelle, and Father John Harvey. Um, and Father Harvey has recently passed away. This is one of the great things about courage is they really try to bring same-sex uh, inclined, inclined people to uh, a deeper understanding of truth. We love you, but this is ultimately not going to help you to act out in this way. The church teaches that our sexuality in particular, it affects all aspects of our humanity. You know, as, as Americans, we tend to isolate, you know, here's my, my work and my home life and my friends and and this is my sexuality and this is this and we just put everything in silos but the church teaches uh uh-uh. our sexuality impacts all of it and our just as our spirituality does you know we hear in this in the book of tobit this awesome book of tobit that before they consummate their marriage sarah and tobiah they kneel down next to the marriage bed the night that they were they were wedded before they consummate the marriage, and he says to his his new bride, my love, my sister, get up. Let us now thank God for this. And he says, Lord, I now take this spouse of mine, not out of lust, but for a noble purpose. And they said, amen, amen, and went, they went to bed for the night. So we see that their sexuality shared impacts the other, right. and their spirituality shared impacts the other. And this is exactly what happens uh, George Weigel has a great point. He said, we live in a culture where sex is seen as another contact sport. Mm. <laughs> and it really doesn't matter, you know, what what I do with who I do. Uh, we, we tend to just see this as a body. But that's even, even uh, we know this on a deeper level, even when we're younger, that what we do with our bodies, they really does have a spiritual significance. Mm-hmm. Now, that does raise the issue we hear a lot of times where, People ask, well, isn't isn't gender just sort of like a social construct? I mean, you you hear now kids in preschool or whatever and parents deciding that this child needs to be this sex or that sex. As they get older, people start saying, well, you have the right to choose what gender you are. Sometimes very difficult for Americans in particular to understand some of these things because um, we do understand so many things in terms of my personal right. The problem is often as Americans, and I'm speaking in generalities when I say this, we tend to apply my right, in quotes, to what I want. So, for instance, let's say that a couple, they can't conceive because of infertility. I have a right to a child. Right. Or a same-sex couple says, I have a right to a child. That's not a right. What is a right, however, is that a child has a right to a father and to a mother. 
That is a right. A child has a right to life. Looking things from the, the natural order perspective. Exactly. Yeah. Which, incidentally, it's worth noting that our founding fathers even understood this. We hold these truths to be self-evident. They're obvious. That all men are created equal. They're endowed by their creator, by God, with certain inalienable rights. Inalienable meaning they cannot be removed. They're tattoo. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So when we talk about the issue of gender, we don't have the right to to change this. Um, this is ordained by God um, any more than we have the right to change the um, the orbit of the earth around the sun. Yeah, as I say, and when you say mm-hmm. ordained, I want to be clear about what that means, how that plays out. I mean, really, we're talking about that what God ordains, I mean, he reveals to us. Mm-hmm. And he's revealed it in many ways. He's revealed it through sacred scripture. He's revealed it through the tradition of the church. And he's revealed it, especially in natural law, the way things have always worked and the way they work in this great cosmic way to make the the universe continue the way it has uh, thus far. So I want people to understand this is that when we say ordained, we're not speaking like that there's some guy with a pointy hat somewhere in this darkened room has has proclaimed that this is the way it should be. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And the the church, um, the Catholic Church, you know, we want people to be happy. <laughs> absolutely. And and um, and often this is sometimes a, a shocker for people because we tend they tend to understand that the the church is the most outspoken body of Christianity um, against certain certain things and certain lifestyles. And we always emphasize the church has always pointed out we love you, and and we're trying to bring you to truth. Jesus says in John's Gospel. Um, you will find the truth, and the truth will set you free. Truth brings freedom. In 1993, John Paul II had an encyclical called Veritatis Splendor, the splendor of truth. That's the theme that runs through the whole thing, that as we come in contact with truth, we come in ta- contact with happiness, with with freedom. Now, it's not always easy. And, yeah. and I, mean, I mean, I put myself at the front of the line, man, because... And this is why I have a spiritual director. It involves conversion. And oh, conversion yeah. is not, I mean, that's necessarily, we're stirring mm-hmm. things up, mm-hmm. right? Things are getting burned or broken down or changed. Mm-hmm. We don't like change. Oh, yeah, exactly. And then and then we become a fuller human being. Yeah. And as, as the expression goes, our personality expands in the sense that we become a fuller human being. That's tough. You know, I, um, if I may just use a, an analogy of what that's like. Um. Imagine Michelangelo carving the Pieta. The man did it over two years. Chip, 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 chip. He saw under this big marble piece a masterpiece. And it took him two years. God is doing the same thing with each one of us. He's chipping away our pride, our ego, our self-reliance, our need to be right, our need to be in control. All these things. So I talking, wondered what that chinking sound was, <laughs> that, that kind of chisel sound that I'm constantly hearing in the back of my head. That's your helpmate. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. Father Ben, thank you so much for, well, bringing us the truth and helping us to better understand the church's beautiful teaching about holy matrimony and the beautiful gift that it is to all of us and also how it helps us in our relationship to God but with each other, with all the people in the world. We thank you so much for uh, for joining us here in the luxurious corner booth at the Catholic <laughs> Cafe. Thank you. Would you do us the honor of closing in prayer for us? Sure. God, our Father, we thank you so much for the great, great gift of matrimony. We ask you to guide and bless us, especially, Lord, to bless all couples. We ask you to be with them in their own struggles. And we ask you to guide and bless each one of us now and always. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. 
If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table. <laughs>